your attitude makes a difference. Okay? Um, so one time, just to give an example of attitude. Okay, one time I spoke at a church um, that I had spoken of at many times before. Um, at least once a year I had spoken there. And this lady that I knew came up to me afterwards and she said, um, she said, this was the best you've ever spoken. She said, I can see your maturity. You used to be a boy trying to convince us of your convictions, but now you're a man sharing his heart. Okay? And if, at first I was kind of offended, right? I was like, what do you mean I used to be a boy? I've always been a man, right? <laughs> um, but as I thought about it and I started thinking about when I, you know, maybe first started public speaking in context of churches, that I was probably was a little more prideful, like, hey, I'm a, I didn't say this, but probably came across as, hey, um, let me share with you all the awesome things that God is teaching me, and hopefully you can get on board. You know, something, that probably was my attitude, like a little bit more about me. And then as I've grown through the years, maybe more of a humble heart of, hey, let me humbly share with you some things that God's done in my life, transformed me, made me more like him, I want to encourage you to apply this to your life. Maybe same thing, but two different attitudes, okay? So she was kind of calling out that I had a shift in my attitudes, all right, my attitude. Um, John Maxwell says, people may hear your words, but they feel your attitude. I always tell my kids, at least my oldest one, it's not what you say, it's how you say it. Because you can say the same thing two different ways, but the attitude, right, in which you say it can be come across completely different to people. And so as we kind of walk through this, this, these next points, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some points to just help us keep our attitude in check, right? And most of us, for the most part, we're not going to come across having a negative external attitude, but there can be some hard things and mindsets that we can walk in that could come across the wrong way and not align with scripture, okay? John, next one. All right, so I'm going to give you eight, we'll call these attitudes or values that will help us have a biblical approach, okay? Eight attitudes or values that will have us, help us have a biblical approach to fundraising. Okay, number one. We want to remember, God is the source, okay? Not my donors, not my plans, not my hard work, okay? Now, I need donors, I need a plan, and I'm going to have to work hard. Those are all true things, but they're not my source. God is the source, and my source at the end of the day is your source. Okay, Numbers 18.24, it says... For the tithe of the sons of Israel, they offer as an offering to the Lord, and I have given it to the Levites. Okay, in this, in this context, what the Lord is saying, he's saying, you know, the Levites were the, were the one tribe where it was like God was going to be their source. They weren't going to own land. They weren't going to have jobs. They were just going to serve God and that God would be their provision. And so the imagery that we get here is the Israelites, all the other 11 tribes, would bring their tithes and their offerings. They would give it to the Lord, right? And then the Lord would take that and he would give it to 
um, the Levites, okay? So it's kind of this imagery. Do we have a... Yeah, we have... It's in this Oh, gotcha. Oh, yeah. The green one never works. We'll just assume. Okay? In any context, it's always the bad one. All right, so it's kind of like this, right? This is how we want to picture it. We have God. We have... Um, we'll call him our donor, right? And then there's me, or you, okay? And so here's the imagery is, you know, the Israelites would give it to God and then God would give it to the Levites. So our mindset is our donor is giving it to the Lord as an offering to him, and then God is giving that to us, and he's our source, he's our provider, right? And then we're thanking them, we're giving them updates, and it creates this awesome trinity, so to say, right? And so that's how I, yes, my donor is going to probably give me a check, hand me cash, right? Uh, Venmo me, whatever. But I always want to have the heart um, mindset that it's like that's actually coming from the Lord and they're giving it to him, okay? Um, just because it, it, we can fall into the trap over time where it's just like, Oh, you know, mama money back is going to give me some money or donor this. I'll go to them. I'll go to them versus like going to the Lord and trusting him to be my source and not those people. Okay. Um, in Philippians, Paul said um, he called the Philippians gift a fragrant aroma, an acceptable sacrifice, well-pleasing to God. So he saw it as a gift that went from the Philippians to God and then to him. Okay. All right. I have a story here and I'm trying to figure out which one it is. Because I have a bunch of them here. Okay. So this is a story, just an example of how God is the source and not people or a church or something like that. Okay. Looking to man instead of God. Um, my middle son, Pax, I think I shared with you a little bit of the story yesterday. Um, his total adoption was $45,000 from start to finish. And so kind of how our adoption agency worked, we had the same agency for our, all three boys. Is after the first one, they kind of started to understand how YWAM operates and that we were fundraising. So they would kind of give us a little bit more of a deadline than normal people, right? They, they would extend us a little bit of a grace period because what they would do is they wouldn't say, we need $45,000 all up front. It was kind of... You know, maybe 2000 here for the application, 700 for background checks. And it just comes in different ways, and so you get these random invoices. Well, I got a phone call um, from... All right, I'm sitting down. I got a phone call from the adoption agency. She's like, hi, this is Barbara. And this was on a Tuesday. And she goes, I'm leaving Saturday for Korea. And she's like, she's like, I know you guys have been working on getting the money together, but she's like, we've kind of reached like the triple extension of your deadline. She's like, we need $15,000 from you by Friday for the next phase of your adoption, or your Korea's changing their laws. We're going to have to push you under the new laws, which would increase paperwork. Your cost is going to go up and there's a possibility we already had our middle son assigned to us. We already had pictures and everything. They're like, we may have to remove your child, assign him to a different family, and you'll end up with another baby. Um, and so we had already been, we had named him in our heads. 
We had other people praying for him. And so I was just like, I don't know what to do. So we're just like, Lord, we've exhausted our resources. We've been diligent. Lord, we don't know what to do. Please show us what to do, okay? Now, I did something that I will not teach you to do, um, but in my panic, right, and starting to look to man as a way to provide, I went on Google, and I Googled largest churches in Orlando, right? And so just pull up, you know, your top 10 largest churches, and I start just calling them randomly. I don't know anybody, don't know any pastors, don't know any congregants, telling them my story. So long story short, at the end of the day, I ended up with three face-to-face meetings with three of the biggest churches in Orlando. And so I had them scheduled for Thursday, and it was going to be like 8.30, 10 o'clock, and 11.30, or whatever it was. So it was just like boom, 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 all in a row. And so I go to all three of them. I share an awesome vision, like, and then just ask them to give. And all three of them were like, wow, we love what you're doing with YWAM. We love that you're adopting, but our budgets are set for the year. We can't help you out. And so three of the biggest churches, and I walk away with zero dollars, right? And I got to get the money to her by Friday because she's leaving Saturday. So I got like 24 hours left. And so I'm driving back to the base, right? And I get where you come across the bridge just over the turnpike there, and my cell phone rings, and it's my wife. And I'm like, oh man, I'm like, she's probably calling to see how her amazing husband came up with $15,000 and I got nothing and I don't even want to answer the phone, right? So finally I answer the phone and she goes, oh my gosh, the most amazing thing happened. You're not going to believe it. And then she hung up, right? (laughs) And so I'm like, I'm like calling her, trying to call her back. She's not answering. Finally, after a couple minutes, she calls me back. She's like, sorry, I had to deal with something. She's like, you're not going to believe what happened. She's like, I woke up um, this morning, and for some reason that day, something had been going on in the morning, so like our morning prayer time was not till like 11 o'clock for some reason. It was later in the morning. And she's like, I got up this morning. She's like, I was so discouraged. I was so depressed. She's like, I just couldn't think of how we were going to come up with this money. And she's like, to be honest, I just wanted to stay in bed and pull the covers over my head. But she's like, I just had something inside that was just like, Go put your focus on me and I'll take care of it. So she's like, I just went to morning prayer and worship and just spent the morning just focusing on God and pouring my heart out to him. And she's like, after, after the time, I was out at snack and this DTSer came up to me. And there was a, a husband and wife who were in DTS. And the lady was like, hey, um, somehow I ended up reading your blog about your adoption. And she's like, I heard you need something like $15,000. And my wife's like, yeah, we need $15,000 by tomorrow. And the lady says, just tell me who to make the checkout to. My husband and I are going to give you the entire $15,000. And so I, she's like, my wife's like, I'm calling you because I don't know who to make the checkout to. So I get there, they write the check, and I call my adoption agency. Like, I have the $15,000. I'm going to overnight it to you to be there tomorrow by noon. She's like, all right, I'm going to Korea. I'll tell them that keep you guys in process. But what I wanted to highlight was I was kind of sure I was praying and trusting God, but I started really looking to people like this church is going to make a way and looking to man, right? Versus like my wife who was, you know what? I don't know what else to do. God, I'm going to keep my focus on you. You're our source. You're our provider. And then the breakthrough came. Okay. Now, 
yes, throughout the week, I'm going to talk to us about how we have to practically do things like go to meetings and make phone calls. But I really just want to highlight the two different responses. In desperation, she went to God. And in desperation, I went to man, probably jumping over God a little bit and leaning into them. And I don't think God was mad at me. In all honesty, I think he was in heaven laughing, being like, I'm going to teach you a good lesson. Watch this. You know, here's $15,000 or whatever. Okay. So they probably got a good kick out of it in heaven. All right. But really, at the end of the day, yes, we want to do things with excellence and the best we can. But it's not how awesome your iPhone is or your computer um, and all those different things that we have that help us at the end of the day. God is our source, okay? All right, number two. Um, prayer demonstrates our dependence on God as the source. Prayer demonstrates our dependence on God as the source. Um, prayer should permeate all that we do in ministry, but it's especially important in fundraising. Okay, so many times, you know, an example is, let's say we were all going to go downtown and do evangelism in the city. Sometimes what we'll do is we'll all gather at somewhere like Lake Eola or a central point in the city, and we'll spend some time, someone will play a little song on their guitar, and then we'll pray for a few minutes, and then we'll disperse. But sometimes when we go into fundraising, we're just like, I've got a great idea, and I'm going to grab my MacBook and start working on it, versus... Going to the Lord in prayer, Lord, what do you want me to do? Okay, you want me to do that? Will you move on these people's hearts and will you go before me? Okay, and we skip over the prayer because, oh, it's just, it's not really ministry, it's just support raising. Okay, but I want to encourage you not to do that, to go to him first, all right? Sorry, I went backwards. Okay, in Nehemiah, Nehemiah is a, a, a great story. Um, a great book to read through just when you're support raising and a little bit of an encouragement, okay? In Nehemiah 2.4, it says, Then the king said to me, What do you request? What do you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven, and I said to the king, If it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, I ask that you send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Okay? I... Um, you know, if, if you were to read a few verses before that, it's like Nehemiah was the cupbearer, right? So he brings in the wine and he takes a sip before to make sure it's not poison. And if it is, he dies and the king doesn't. So apparently it wasn't poison because he lived through verse one, right? And so as he's coming to the king, like the king's like, what's wrong with you? Like he looks super sad. And he says, um, what do you request? Like, is there something going on, Right. And it says, so I pray to the God of heaven, right? And so the idea of him praying, like he's already like before the king. It's not like he's like, hold on a second. I'm going to go do prayer and intercession and fasting and I'll be right back. It's like in the moment, he's just like, all right, Lord, give me favor right now. You know, or whatever he said in his head. And then as he makes an appeal to the king, it says that the king actually, if we were to read the story, not only does he grant him his wish and say, go ahead, I'm going to give you some supplies, but the king actually becomes an advocate for him and he writes other kings and says, hey, let this guy not only pass through your territory, but can you give him some building supplies to help with this vision he has? So not only does he gain a donor, right? 
but his donor becomes an advocate that asks other people to partner with him. Okay? But I just like that idea that, sure, maybe God does challenge us to fast and pray and do things, but even just in a simple moment, he's like, all right, before I make this appeal and ask this person to partner with me, I'm going to just be like, hey, God, help me do this. Give me the words to say. Give me favor. And he does that, and the guy responds, okay? Um, let me give you a couple examples of that, just real-life things, all right? Um, the first one, we'll go back to um, my son, Pax, all right? After we adopted, this will just be my story time chair. After we adopted Pax, okay, that was our second son. So, you know, you go from, I mean, when you go from a family of two, you have a little baby, right? As these two guys in the back know. It's like, sometimes it's instant, but gradually you start to notice like, all right, there's more expenses. The bills are going up. Man, this guy, you know, poops a lot. And lots of diapers or whatever it is, right? All those different expenses. And so after PAX came, it was like a couple months in, two, three months in, and it was like, okay, wow, our expenses are going up. And as I'm looking at the month, of expenses I had, this was like in November, if I remember, and what I knew was coming in support-wise, I was like, this does not line up. There is more expenses than there's gonna be um, income. Just for that month, it was just crazy low. And so I was just like, Lord, like we gotta do something just to carry us through, because we're gonna have to raise support, but I can't do this overnight. We need something to kind of carry us through while we're working on this. And so I was like, I was literally just, you know, like, Lord, what do I do? Who do I ask? Do you want me to do some crazy support raising venture? And I felt like the Lord was like, I just want you to fast and pray this week on your own. And I was like, is there something else I can do, Lord? I don't really like to fast. I don't mind the prayer part, but could we? And I just felt like the Lord just kept pressing on my heart. Like, no, I just want you to fast and pray. Okay. And so I was like, okay, so I'm just, I'm like, I'm going to do Monday through Friday and just trust you for breakthrough. And so Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, and I think it was on a Thursday, right? Not quite to Friday yet. Just praying like, Lord, how are you going to come through? And Rachel goes into the account. She went into the front office, and the girl that was working in accounting at the time happened to walk out. She's like, oh, Rachel. She's like, do you know, you know this guy named you know, Kyle so-and-so? And she's like, well, she's like, I know who he is. I'm like, their family was adopting from Korea when we were there. We hung out a little bit, went to a meal together, but she's like, you know, I don't know a ton about him, but I know who he is. And she's like, oh, well, anyways, he just called the office and had me run his credit card for $5,000. And so I just want you to know there's $5,000 in your wild account, right? And so we didn't ask that guy for money. We didn't make an appeal to him. It was just like, out of the blue, that guy just called in gave us $5,000, and that was like, that carried us through for while we were working on increasing our support so that we didn't crash and burn, okay? And so sometimes God might say, I want you to do this. Sometimes he might just say, pray, okay? But it, whether, even if he says, go do something, I always want to encourage you, like, pray through that. What does it look like? Ask him to be in those meetings, those phone calls, those emails, whatever it is. Um, don't jump out and just ask, but I want to encourage you to pray, okay? All right, another example um, where, the, where we prayed, and again, this was a time where God just said, just pray, is few, maybe a couple of years after that, um, 
is we, again, we're in a season where we, we felt like we needed to grow our support some more. And we said together, we were just like, all right, Lord, what do we do? What kind of fundraising event? And we just felt like the Lord was like, I just want you to pray. Nothing specific, just pray and see what I might do. And so at the time, we were, um, we were in a small group. Um, and the small group was, basically, there was like four or five older married couples who had been married for like 20 years or more. And then there was four or five of us younger couples who had been married for five years or less. And so the whole small group was like, they were going to disciple us on things they did right, things they did wrong, and hopefully our marriages grow through that. And so everybody in the group kind of like, they knew we were with YWAM, they knew we were missionaries, but we had never appealed to any of them. It was just like, that's what we do for our career. And so one day, this all happened in the same week, this one couple came up to us and said, um, hey, aren't you missionaries of YWAM? Yes. Do you live by support? Yes. Can we support you? Yes, you may. Right? <laughs> there, was, there was four couples total that came to us, okay? Um, and the first three um, all said the same thing. You're missionaries? Yes. Can we support you? Yes. So one couple did $200 a month. The other couple did $100 a month. And the other... The third couple did $50 a month. So that was $350 a month in new support and all in the same week where we never asked. The fourth couple came up to us and they said, hey, we want to support you, um, but could you come do like a meeting and just share with us a little bit more because we're going to give to you. We just don't know what we're giving to. And they only have been Christians like a year, I think. And so they're just like, help us make sense of where our money is going. Like, don't worry, we're going to give. We just want you to expound on that, okay? So they invite us over to dinner to their house, all right? And I still remember we had steak, baked potatoes, and sautéed mushrooms, okay? And corn on the cob. Can't forget that. So we like we, we get to their house, we eat dinner, and we're just hanging out. We're not talking about YWAM or ministry. And we finish the meal, and the wife goes, Andy, why don't you go ahead and set up your little, I think I had like a computer maybe, set up your little presentation and I'll bring out dessert and we'll all eat dessert while you, you know, her, her husband, her son, and Rachel, you can talk and we'll all eat dessert in front of you, right? And so, <laughs> so they eat their dessert, I do my little presentation and I get to the end and I'm like, well, that's, you know, that kind of gives you an idea of what we do and what YWAM is and what we do. I know you mentioned um, that you were going to give and just wanted to know if you guys had talked about how much you wanted to do. And so the wife, she goes, Todd, why don't you go get me my checkbook? Okay, so the husband goes and he comes back and his checkbook, no lie, is this big, right? And so they're like, um, what they did was they were home builders. They built homes. And so they owned a business. And so typically those checkbooks, there's like three different checks on there and you just tear them off. So she like gets out her checkbook and pen. She writes a check. She goes, okay, this is check number one. And she goes, um, this is for you guys. Um, like any bills or anything that over the last month maybe you got behind on, just go ahead and catch up on your bills, clean that up. Um, and she goes, there's $500, right? Then she writes another check. She goes, here's another check, another $500. She goes, this check I want you guys have, you cannot be responsible with this check. She's like, I want you to be completely irresponsible and go blow the money 
on whatever you want. She's like, if you want to go clothes shopping, out to eat, Disney, whatever, you're not allowed to be responsible and pay any bills with this money, okay? Right? So we went to the Florida Mall and blew it all in clothes, okay? Um, and then the third chat, she goes, you know, she's like, we just started going to church this last year, and she's like, we're not tithing to a church right now. And she's like, so until we figure out what we're going to do, she's like, we're going to tithe to you guys. And she's like, we make about $10,000 a month. So we're going to support you at $1,000 a month. So in one week, just by prayer, we made no appeals. God brought in uh, $1,350 in monthly support. Okay. Now, those, that couple did not stay with us forever, right? It was for a season, and then they moved on to other things, okay? And that's, you know, side note, some people, I have been supporting Rachel and I for over 20 years, right? And then you have other people that are for a season, and then they move on, or they retire, or do something else. And so not everyone's going to be with you forever, okay? Don't let that discourage you either. It's just, it's just the way it is, okay? Um, but the point of all that was um, that prayer demonstrates our dependence on God as the source. So it was a good learning lesson for us, even though we were willing to like go do something, ask some people, the God, or the God, God, the only God, right? The only God. He was teaching us to depend on him and not our hard work or people, Okay. Kind of in closing this, um, Bill Bright, who uh, used, to, used to be called Campus Crusade, now they're called Crew. He was the founder. But he said, talk to God about men before you talk to men about God. Okay? So go to the Lord in prayer and then go and make your appeal and do the things that he's asked you to do. Okay? All right, any comments or questions on the prayer part? No, all right. You guys are easy to please, okay? Number three, the third attitude. Biblical fundraising is a spiritual ministry, okay? Fundraising or support raising, whatever you want to call it. We need to have the mindset that that is part of our ministry and that is a, it, it's a spiritual act, okay? It's um, because what we can do if we're not careful at least in American culture, is we have sacred ministry activities, right? And those are things like Bible study, prayer, evangelism, worship, right? All those things are the spiritual side of ministry. And then we have what we'll classify as secular, right? Um, they're not as spiritual, like fundraising, paying bills, budgeting, right? The marketing department, they're not quite as spiritual as training, right? That's the mindset we can have if we're not careful. But what we want to say and walk in the attitude that fundraising for me is just as spiritual as morning worship or morning prayer time or going downtown, okay? Because if not, it will go back to some of the obstacles where we lose our diligence in it, right? We become passive. It's like, well, I need to go do evangelism. I need to go do a one-on-one. -on -one. I need to go preach the gospel on stage or whatever it is. And before we know it, three months goes by and we haven't raised any funds. Now we can't go to the nations. Now we can't worship and pray and all those things. And so it's just as important, okay? 
Um, <clears throat> we're not going to read the entire chapter, but in Exodus 25 and 35, um, Moses gets like a vision from the God, the God again. <laughs> Moses gets, can tell I spoke this morning, I'm, I'm doubling up. Um, Moses gets a vision for the Lord for the tabernacle, and he's told, God says, I want you to take up an offering. That's how I'm going to provide for you to put this tabernacle together. Okay, and then Exodus 35, it says, Then everyone came whose heart was stirred, and everyone whose spirit was willing, and they brought the Lord's offering for the work of the tabernacle of meeting, for all of its service and all of its holy garment. Okay, so Moses didn't brush it aside, but he was like, you know what? This is a moment of worship for the community. I want to present to you God's vision. Would you like to give to it? All right. And I think if we, if I remember correctly, not only was the need met, but I think Moses had to say, stop bringing money, stop bringing gold. We have too much, right? Because they were so willing to give. All right. Now I haven't had to tell donors, stop giving. They're giving too much. I'm not there yet. Right. Well, what I wanted to highlight was he, he saw that as an act of worship, okay? Um, all right, so we don't do fundraising so that we can do ministry, but biblical fundraising itself is a spiritual ministry. I'm getting ahead of myself. That's why I took that verse away, Okay. Why is it a spiritual ministry? Who has a Bible? Can somebody look up Matthew? I don't know why I don't have a slide for this. Matthew 6, 19 through 21. And I want to highlight why one of the reasons fundraising is a, is a, is a ministry in and of itself. So it's Matthew 6, 19 through 21. Okay. You want to read? You got it? Yeah, go ahead. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moss and vermin destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where moss and vermin do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. Okay, thank you. So, we're not, yes, and practicality, we are fundraising so we can do the vision that God called us to do. But there's a ministry side of it is we are presenting vision from God and we are inviting people to give to the vision of God. We're inviting people based on this verse to go, would you like an opportunity to store up your treasures in heaven? Okay? Because there's so many people, many times people have a concern for the world and what's going on, for the lost, for the orphan, for the widow, like all those different things, whatever our ministry is, but they don't have an opportunity to give, right? They don't know, well, I've had a heart for Africa all these years, but I don't really know how to give to that. I've always wondered about all the, you know, um, orphans in China, right? But I don't, like, what am I supposed to do? I just work nine to five. How can I help with that? And then we come into their living room and we say, hey, I'm working with a team and we're going to go build an orphanage in China would you like to give to that? It's an, we're giving them an opportunity to actually obey God, right? How many times do we not know that we step into someone's living room or a coffee shop and we present an opportunity and it's something God's already been dealing with them and we're actually the opportunity for them to obey God, 
Okay? The more you think about this and the more you live it out, you start to realize that you're not the center of attention of support raising, right? In my mindset, it's all about me and the money I need. But if we open it up, it's like, no, it's actually more about God's kingdom come and his will be done. It's about giving people the opportunity to be involved in world missions and the opportunities for them to obey God with their money and what he's told them to do. And so then you start to go, oh, wow, it's not just fundraising, but this actually is a ministry. And then as people are giving to me, I'm sending emails of encouragement, right? I'm writing thank you notes. I'm giving them updates on how their money is bearing fruit in God's kingdom. And then you go, oh, wow, this thing is like a ministry in and of itself. It's not just me sending out invoices and getting money back, okay? Um, Philippians 4.10, here's what Paul said. He said, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity, okay? He was saying, I know you had concern for me. I know you had concern for the believers in other areas of the, uh, of the region, but you didn't have an opportunity. So here you go, and the Philippians responded, and they gave to that because they had the opportunity. Oh, thanks, Noah, for reading, but there's the verse. I guess I, I guess I did have a slide that I added in there, okay? Um, Philippians 4.10, all right? I, okay, all those things I just said are true, but also when we come back, I really want you to have the mindset, don't let it be like some... Oh, shoot, I got to go do support raising, where it's like some unholy, unsacred task. Um, but as you, the longer you go, you will see like, hey, there's a ministry. So I'm about to write this newsletter. I don't want to just throw something together, right? I want to like have it be some kind of encouragement, all right, to people. Okay, when we, during COVID, um, you know, you probably all experienced COVID, right? Whether you were here or not. Okay, so things slowed down a bit, right? Now, we were still operating. We had some schools in the midst of that. Um, but for the most part, it was pretty slow going, right? And so a lot of us struggled with, like, how do we continue to give updates? I was like, well, I wore a mask today, and I didn't leave home. Thank you for your support, right? You're trying to think of ideas of what you can write about. So what we started doing... Um, is we started doing a weekly encouragement email. So we would, at the beginning of each week, Rachel and I would just find a verse and then have some type of small, maybe like paragraph devotional. And we would just send out every Monday for like a year, year and a half, two years, whatever it was, to our donors because we didn't have a ton to write about in terms of ministry stuff going on. So we were like, well, let's just flip this around and we'll just encourage them. And so it, it brought a new perspective to the donor care or the donor team that during that time it was like, wow, we really are a team. They encourage us consistently with their giving. And it was a season where it was like, we don't have a bunch of stories for you, but we feel like this is what God's saying for this week. This is what he's saying. I hope you're encouraged. Hope you're doing well. And people would write us and be like, please keep those coming. We love those. They're such an encouragement. So again, just another example about how it is a ministry and not just about the money, okay? Okay, number four. Receiving support is a, is a biblical right, but it does not entitle me to be pushy or demanding, okay? 
We can read through different scriptures of how, you know, people that preach the gospel should get resources through the gospel, all those different things. Read some of the support raising books. There's great Bible studies on that. If you need that, we're not going to go there right now. Okay. So there is biblical grounds for us to be supported and to invite donors in. However, that doesn't, we're not entitled to anything. And we shouldn't use those as a manipulative source or be demanding in any way. Like, you need to give to me because the Bible says so, right? Probably not the best approach for fundraising. All right, so some statistics. Um, And this is from a little bit ago. It's probably through the roof by now, okay? In 2012... Um, it had been estimated that $36 billion in church fraud and embezzlement would take place in 2013. And it was estimated um, that to reach $60 billion by 2025. And I think I, there's a website you can actually go find some of this stuff. It's called brotherhoodmutual.com. And I think last year or the year before, there had actually been discovered 80 billion dollars um, in church embezzlement or like fraud schemes, okay? Um, you know, people people in the working in the church taking money, right? Different things, okay? And probably initially, right? You know, in some of those sources, there probably was people that just intended to steal money. They're like, what a great way to get money, okay? Some of those things... I think were probably more subtle and then got out of control. Like maybe a youth pastor, right? Has the church credit card. He's filling up the van for the youth trip. And then he just has the thought like, man, I've been working hard. I'm not really compensated. They should probably be covering my gas, right? So he like tops off his gas with the church credit card, right? Maybe it's like, oh, I got some petty cash from the church. I'm out and, oh, shoot, I forgot my wallet. I really need to buy this PS5 game. It's on sale, right? So he borrows 50 bucks or probably closer to 75 bucks, right? Gets the thing. He's like, I'll pay it back when I get to the church. And then he forgets. And then before time, it's just like, oh, I'm entitled. I'm entitled. Before you know it, it's like you're not paying money back and you're just taking it, okay? Or there probably is more intentional ways of embezzling money, okay? Such as YWAM, all right? YWAM is not immune to bad things happening, okay? In, um, in 2017, right, YWAM Kona, one afternoon, four, five, six black SUVs rolled onto the Kona campus, and they arrested the chief financial officer for YWAM, basically in terms, the main accountant for YWAM. And it came to find out that he had been, he had embezzled over $3 million from YWAM, okay? And there, if, it's, it's, this isn't like a secret. If you want to Google it later and read the whole article, it's out there. I've Googled it, okay? Um, but he had like, he had like a cabin in Aspen, Colorado with a safe and they found like diamonds in his safe. Um, not to give you ideas, but basically what was going on is he, Wyland was getting estimates from contractors on like, oh, how much would it cost to build this building? How much would it cost to build that building? And so this guy was basically making fake invoices where it would say, okay, this costs 
$200,000, but it really was only $100,000. And then he would get the check signed, and then somehow he was wiring them half of it to his, and half of it was paying the actual contractor. So nobody but him knew there wasn't maybe a system in place for that. But anyway, there's more to that, but that's the gist of it, okay? All right, now, my point is not like you guys are going to embezzle money. That's not my point. Those are, those are like the extremes, but I'm highlighting ministries are not immune to those things, okay? But what I think the core of that was like they felt they were entitled to something they weren't getting. And it probably started off subtle and somehow moved to diamonds, right? Now, most likely that CFO, I don't think he had done like a DTS. I think he was like a hired outside source. Um, but my point is the heart issue behind it, okay? Somewhere in there was like, I'm owed this. And even if we don't say it out loud, we don't want to have an undercurrent attitude in, inside that reflects, you owe me, I'm entitled to this, you need to give. We want to have humble hearts, okay? 1 Corinthians 9.14 says, So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living by the gospel. However, we did not use this right that we may, know, we may cause no hindrance to the gospel. So Paul was saying, hey, we have every right to be supported by the gospel because that's what the Lord said, but we're not going to use this and hold it over your head because that will actually hinder the work that God's doing. If you want to give, great. If you don't, that's okay. God still loves you. Go give to who you want to give to, all right? So we don't want to be pushy. We don't want to be manipulative. We don't want to make people feel bad, right? Like, if you don't give today, millions of children in the Sudan will die because you did not obey the Lord, right? That's like a super extreme. But when I was a kid, there was like crazy commercials on TV all the time, right? Like, these children will die if you don't give up your cup of coffee for the day. And I was like, the people around me will die if I give up my coffee for the day. Right? Anyway, you get the point? All right, don't be manipulative. Don't be pushy. Have a humble heart and a humble attitude. And that's, and God will meet your needs, okay? All right, another attitude is we want to expect to raise 100% of our budget. Or we want to expect that we'll meet our goal. Whether it's monthly support or if it's foreign outreach, okay? Um, statistically, statistics say few missionaries actually believe that they'll reach their goal, right? And... Um, many times donors don't think that and local churches don't have the mindset like, oh, this guy's going to reach his goal, okay? They say, you know, statistically it's viewed that the missionaries, they're just the missionaries, right? They chose hardship, they chose poverty, probably not going to reach their goal, but let's at least help them think that they might, right? Okay, like when I was a kid, I grew up, I grew up in the church world, like, grew up born on the front pew, right? I was, we, we were always at church. And so I remember when the missionaries would come to town, right? Sunday morning, you know, the sanctuary is filled with people. Like, come back tonight, right? Missionary Joe is going to be here, and he's going to tell us all about China, right? And then you come, and there's like 25 people there, 
um, to hear, because it's like, oh, it's the missionary, and they're kind of the poor people, probably going to ask for some money, right? Um, I remember reading a story once about this missionary family. They got a, they were in another country, and they got a care package from America, right? Or, and it was like, oh, amazing. Like when you get, a, if you've ever been gone, or even if you're here, I guess, in the school, and you get a care package, it's like, oh my gosh, like did mom make me some chocolate chip cookies or what? You get all excited. Amazon Prime shows up, okay? Well, these people, they open up this care package, and inside was filled, Ziploc bags filled with used tea bags, right? And the letter said, hey, thanks for being a missionary, right? Um, with all the church events, we've been saving the tea bags over the last year. You should be able to get a cup out of each of these tea bags. Be blessed in your ministry, right? That was the care package, was used tea bags, all right? And my, the point of that is it's like, you know, the donors didn't value the missionary. It's like, you shouldn't have what you need per se. And sometimes that we can carry that mindset about ourselves if we're not careful, that I'm just the missionary. I deserve the lowest. Give me the leftovers, okay? Do I want to have a humble heart? Yes. But I can't be as effective to fulfill God's call with that mindset, okay? Um, let me give you a... Let me redeem that story with my story, okay? Um, our family, like my family, my wife and I, like we have a real heart for New York City, hoping to plant a base there someday in the right season, right? So we go there pretty regularly. But in um, summer of 2018 to summer of 2019, we moved our family there for a year. And we lived in Manhattan. And one day, like we were at the store or whatever, and it was like, like we had money, like God was faithful, he provided, but... We were in this one grocery store that we always went to, and we were like by the cookies, right? And it was like the normal size pack of Oreo cookies. It was like seven fifty, right? And I was like, I told Rachel, I'm like, I want some Oreos. I'm like, but I'm not paying seven fifty. I'm like, I have seven fifty, but I'm like, it's the principal. I refuse to pay seven fifty, right? And she was giving me a hard time, so she posted some. She made some ridiculous story about me, as she always does. And posted it on her Instagram about me refusing to pay $7.50 for Oreos, right? The next day, Amazon Prime shows up with a box that was at least as big as this table, right? And probably about that deep. And we opened it up and the entire box was filled with every kind of Oreo that you can imagine. It was like regular double stuff, vanilla, thin birthday cake, I think there's, right? There was like five or six different kinds and they were all these like small packages in the entire box. And it was like, hey, I saw your story on Instagram, enjoy the Oreos, these ones are free or something like that, right? <laughs> like we had so many, after like two months, every time people would come over and they were walking out the door, we'd be like, we would like to give you some Oreos because we cannot eat anymore. And so we'd give them a pack of Oreos, all right? So that redeems, like, the, the bad story about the tea bags, okay? All right? But so many times, like, um, when you're, sometimes when you're support raising, I've had potential donors tell me this, right? We always hear about how bad the economy is, right? Like, let's be honest, regardless of who the president is, 
somehow somebody always finds a way like, oh, sorry, it's a bad economy right now, right? Even if it's good, right? And so we think, like, in our, our mindset can be like, oh, it's, the, the economy's bad. Like, God's not going to be able to provide. Like, our donors don't have any money, so I can't ask people, right? And we start to, like, put this thing on us, like, oh, it's the worst time to raise support. But let me give you some statistics, okay? Um, I want to suggest to you that there, regardless of the economy, that there's enough resources for God to provide for you. And that people still have money even when it's tough, okay? And again, these statistics, I probably should update them, but they're probably actually higher now than they were when I wrote these down, all right? In 2011, Americans spent $10.7 trillion on shopping. In 2012, worldwide, $62 billion was spent on movies. In 2011, $11 billion was spent on pet supplies. And in 2013, I actually have these, okay? In 2006, it was estimated that over $3,000 was spent every second on pornography um, and over $64 billion a year. That's like over a $100 billion industry now, okay? Um, and in 2013, Americans spent $2.3 billion on Halloween candy. And my personal favorite, $20 million was spent on pet costumes so pets could trick or treat, right? And I do have one more, in, one more updated one. In 2021, right, Amazon, Amazon Prime, $33 billion in sales was done on Amazon. That comes out to $600 and $38 million a day that Amazon Prime makes in money, okay? So, there is money regardless of the economy, okay? Um, and so we can trust God and we don't have to look to people, all right? So expect to raise 100% of your, your goal, all right? All right, number six. We'll talk more about some of that in a minute, some more of those statistics, okay? Um, poor talk dishonors God, all right? Poor talk dishonors God. And what is poor talk? Okay, poor talk is a mentality of wishing there were more money, okay? Usually expressed in complaining or hinting, Okay? So sometimes we can fall into that trap, and especially in YWAM, sometimes we joke about it, right? Um, you know, youth with a mission, sometimes we say acronym youth without any money, right? Um, and so what we can do if we're not careful is we can complain about money. We can hint to people that we don't have any money. But Proverbs says, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruit. Okay, I think that we can actually speak death over our finances. Okay, we can either, if we can speak life and death to people, I think we can do the same to our finances if we're not careful. We can create a culture with ourselves. We can create a culture with our family. We can create a culture in our dorm, even with our donors or potential donors, that we can speak death because we have the mindset of poor talk. Okay. Now let me give you some. I'm gonna give you some reasons why do Christians poor talk, or why do missionaries 
Okay, number one, or letter A, for pub, because of public self-pity. All right, self-pity seeks to elicit a response from others, such as, oh, you poor thing, it must be so difficult serving the Lord. Right? So maybe we're, we're outside of YWAM, and we start poor talking around people. Like, man, wow, that must be so nice that you can do that. I can't ever do that. I'm just a poor YWAM missionary, right? And we're hoping someone's going to go, oh, you poor thing. It must be so hard serving the Lord. I'm just so encouraged that you serve the Lord. Like, we're, try- we're, we're saying those things, and we're trying to elicit a response and get feedback from people, okay? All right, number, or letter B, poor talk is expected of missionaries, Right? It's just like, well, that's who people, it's a stereotype. Missionaries are poor. Don't poverty and spirituality go hand in hand? Right? All right, so, so sometimes people expect it, and sometimes maybe it gets pulled out of us because people expect us to be the poor talkers. We're the poverty people. Right? And so we just need to be careful. Like, it's like, you know, Jesus had no place to lay his head, and neither do I. Right? That's a verse. Not that neither do I part, but, right? All right, the third thing is, it can be disguised as a financial appeal. We don't want to do this. That, we're going back to the last point. We don't want to be manipulative. All right? Manipulative. It says, maybe people will catch on to the fact that I need money. All right? So we say things in certain contexts, hoping that people will catch on like, ooh, if I say this or that, maybe they'll slip me a 20 or maybe they'll Venmo me 50 bucks or whatever. And then we don't want that. We don't want to be manipulative to people, okay? And this is so common that sometimes missionaries don't even know they're doing it. It's subconscious in their mind and it comes out. And I have been in those moments where I'm with another missionary, maybe on like a mobile, uh, mobilization tour and we're staying at a guest home and someone will say something at the dinner table and you can tell it's a disguised appeal that they're asking for money and I just want to crawl under the table and hide because it's so awkward, right? And I probably do just be like, oh, I got to go to the bathroom and I'll be right back, right? And get out of that moment. But what we're going to do, we're going to talk about if we want to ask people for money, we're going to do it the right way. And we're going to make an a, a honest appeal to them, right? An honoring appeal. And then sometimes it's just bad habit, okay? Sometimes it's simply a bad habit that maybe we inherited from our parents or the environment we're in or even our, it becomes the culture of our dorm, right? So we just adapt to that and it becomes a bad habit in our life, all right? I, I grew up in a home, right? We were like, we weren't poor, we were like middle class, but I always, I went to private high school, I had my own car when I was in high school, like, we weren't rich, but we weren't lacking either, we're like right in the middle. But my mom, amazing mom, loves God, raised me to follow Jesus, right? But my mom, it was always like, if we had one car, why don't we have two cars? If we went on one vacation, why don't we go on two vacations? Like, Every time we would get to the next thing, it would be like, oh, we don't have enough, right? We always had everything we needed. We never lacked. We always had food, clothing, shelter, and extra things, right? But it became a culture where I grew up in that my mindset was like, it's, there's not enough, there's not enough. So when I came into YWAM, 
that was my biggest thing is if I was, I had to break that mindset off of myself because it was a bad habit of the culture I grew up in. And so it wasn't that I wanted it, but I had to fight through that because it was just part of the culture of my childhood, okay? Um, so what do all these things communicate to people, friends, and donors? Is one of them, it can reflect sympathy, right? People feel sorry for me. Um, and then the other thing is it reflects struggle, okay? If financial struggles go on year after year, people start to wonder if the hand of God is really with us. Like, we think it's going to provoke people towards giving, but when we talk poor, it's like, oh, we don't have enough. God never comes through. All these different things, they're going to start to go, man, if you're always struggling, maybe you're not supposed to be a missionary, right? Or maybe God's not with you anymore. Why would I want to give to that? Because it's, let me tell you, it's very easy to fall into the trap is, obviously, we, obviously we are, we're not like driving Ferraris around, right, and living in million-dollar homes. But sometimes what happens, if you're in this long enough, and probably staff, you can attest to this, is God blesses us with something, and we always try to hide it because we think people are going to think we're like squandering their money, right? And so, and, and there, is a, there is a sense of use and common sense in those things. But it's okay, like, I think um, it's okay for us to let people know, like, hey, God provided for this thing. Hey, God provided for me to get a car. I want you guys to know I just got this brand new computer that God provided for me. Like, I think that's okay because people go, wow, I've been giving to them and God's a part of their ministry. Things are fruitful and they're growing. I want to keep giving. Because I have friends, not here, but in other places that are missionaries and they post things. And it's like almost every other day, like I don't have enough, I don't have enough. Who can give? Don't have enough for this, don't have enough. Right? And it's like, bro, you need to just pause your life and reevaluate if this is what God's called you to do or take a season and go support raise. It's okay to have those moments like that. But if it's ongoing, if I'm feeling it as a missionary, I'm feeling the awkwardness of it. I know that his donors are probably feeling like, bro, I'm sending you money every day. What are you doing with it? Um, and so you just need to be careful in talking poor like that, right? All right, super quick on this verse. I'm not going to sit on this one long, but um, it said, Jesus said, do not take a purse or a bag or sandals and do not greet anyone on the road. When you enter a house, um, Say, peace be with you, and if someone who promotes peace is there, your peace will rest on them. If not, I will return to you. Stay there, eating and drinking whatever they give you, for the worker deserves his wages. Do not move around from house to house. Okay? What I want to highlight is where it says, do not take a purse or a bag with you. Okay? If you do a study on this, in this context, this is like this picture here, they used to, like from the mid-1900s. This person was referred to as a hobo. Right? And so it's like kind of like a homeless person, somebody didn't have money, all their belongings were in that little bag. And so it reflected externally, hey, I don't have any money, right? I'm a hobo. If you do a little study on this, Jesus was saying there was a certain type of purse or bag that the people would carry around that like kind of reflected, I don't have any money, I don't have a lot. And people and Jesus was driving home, like when you're serving me, when I send you out. 
don't go around reflecting like, hey, I'm poor, I need money. He's basically saying like, don't go around externally like that. Trust me and I'm going to provide for you. So it's just another challenge for us is just don't have that type of mentality, okay? Okay, so super quick, four things, and we'll actually take a break after this. I'm going to give us a break a little early because I know it's afternoon and some of you look rough right now, okay? Four things to avoid poor talk, all right? Don't joke about money in a way that appears you need more. Don't hint about your financial need. If we need money, we're going to ask for it. We're going to do it the right way. Okay? Stop griping about high prices. I do it. Okay? Gas and milk. Right? Target used to be the way. Now they went up like 40 cents on milk. So I gripe about it. All right? Don't do that. Because you're just, you're just creating a culture of complaining. I know it's 40 cents. But before you know it, you're constantly griping and complaining, and it becomes your culture. And then stop comparing yourself with others. This is a big one, okay? Don't compare yourself with your donors, right? You come out of a meeting at someone's house, and you're like, man, I'm like, I'm five years older than them, older than them. They own a house. They got three cars, a baby, and two dogs. Like, what have I done with my life, right? And you start comparing yourself you start tearing down what you believe God's called you to do. Don't compare yourself with your donors, okay? Stay on track with what God's called you to do. And then the other thing is, don't compare yourself with other missionaries, all right? That will eat away at you super fast, okay? Because there's going to be seasons where your fellow missionaries, God meets a need, they get a new car, right? Their trip's paid for, they get a new house, whatever it is, fill in the blank. Right? The Bible says, celebrate with those who celebrate. So when your friend gets a new car, celebrate with them because your time is going to come when God's going to meet your need and they can celebrate with you. Don't compare yourselves. It's very easy to fall into that. I have done it. Right? And you have to set up safety guards for yourself on how you're going to respond. So we will pause there to give you guys a break and wake up because I know it's a rough afternoon. Mm-hmm. Let's do two minutes, so come back at 3.15. And do what you gotta do. Stretch, grab coffee, we'll go till 5. No, our class will go till 5. That case is at 3.15. Yeah. Uh,
What time, Max? Is dinner at 5 or 5.30? Five starts at 5.15. 5.15. So we have a little buffer. Okay. So we end at 5. Yeah. I'll try to get, I'll give you time to transition and all that. <laughs> I know the afternoons are rough. Okay? All right. You gotta get used to it, though. Yes. I forget. You guys are in afternoon school. Yeah. All your classes. I, I forget about that. Yeah. That's right. Um, usually it's only one day a week for some schools, but you guys have it every day. All right, number seven, okay, attitudes. We want to focus on the giver and not the gift. All right, focus on the giver, not the gift. Philippians 4, 17, Paul said, Not that I seek the gift itself, but I seek for the profit which increases to your account. Okay? Paul was like, Sure, I value the gift because it's helping me do what I'm called to do. But more importantly, he was like, I'm not seeking your money. But he's like, I know if you give to God's work, it's going to store up treasure in heaven. You're going to be a part of what God's doing. There's going to be a blessing that comes upon your life because of giving to that. Okay? Um, like, and typically, like, if I kind of look through the, a lot of the history of you know, a lot of my donors, I could I could pick out certain ones, a lot of them, is some of my most faithful and fruitful donors didn't come out of just an ask, but it was preceded by maybe a season of speaking into their life, maybe discipling them, encouraging them, being their friend. And then gradually the natural byproduct of that was that they wanted to give without even me asking them. Because... Rachel or I was focused on that person and not what they could give to us or what we could get out of them, okay? Um, years ago, it's uh, an example of that, um, there was an event going on in California, it was called Brave Love, which those of you that are circuit riders, right? It's kind of, it's basically like a, a young woman's conference, right? It's all, it's, it's all women. And so my wife was just like, hey, I feel like I'm supposed to go to this. It's like three days long, two nights. And it's in Southern California. Now we didn't we didn't have like it wasn't like all right we just have five hundred dollars laying around that we can throw at that conference. But it was like man it's going to be a real stretch for us. We're going to like move some things around somehow make this work. And she goes to this conference. Okay, with plane ticket and fees it was five hundred bucks. And so um, we had actually lived in California. For a year, we lived in Long Beach. Um, we did a church plant, actually with Discovery Church, years ago. And so we lived there for a year. And um, so we had some friends and some relationships there. And so Rachel had a good friend. Um, and she was like, her friend's name was Genevieve. And she called and was like, hey, I'm going to be in SoCal for a couple days. If you have time, I'd love to see you at least touch base for a few minutes. And she was like, Rachel, I'd love to see you. Let me know when you get here and we'll hang out. So we get there the first night. Um, get to the hotel the first day and she calls this lady and the lady comes right over and she's like, let's go out to dinner. So she, her and Rachel go out to dinner and now Rachel knew this lady hadn't walked away from the Lord, but her relationship with God was a little bit bumpy. Just some tough things in her life and she was just like, man, I just want to like reach out to her and see if I can do anything to minister to her while I'm there. So they go out to dinner and she's like, hey Genevieve, tomorrow night... I'm being this conference, you know, during the day it's kind of closed and we have all these sessions, but at night it's open to the public. If you want to come, there's going to be like worship and a speaker. I'd love to invite you. And she'd be like, I'll be there. So it shows up first night, 
Rachel said, like, the first word in worship, like the first note, this lady just encounters the Lord, starts crying, and just the whole night God ministers to her through worship, the message. And Rachel's like, wow, looks like God touched you. She's like, that was amazing. I can't believe it. She's like, well, we have another one tomorrow night if you want to come. She's like, I'll be here, right? So she comes back the next night, same thing happens, right? Encounters the Lord the whole night, like God's touching you or ministering to her. And it was just like two nights of her, like kind of getting her heart back, back on track with the Lord, okay? Um, so the, the session ends, they go out to dinner. Rachel's gonna leave super early the next morning. And the lady drops her off at the hotel. And as Rachel's getting out of her car, the lady pulls out a bank envelope. And she's like, Rachel, I wanna give this to you as a gift. And Rachel goes, she goes, Genevieve, She's like, I don't want your money. She's like, I did not invite you to get your money. She's like, I invited you because I knew your heart needed to be touched by God and I value you and you're what I care about. I don't want your money. And she goes, Rachel, she goes, that's why I want to give you the money because I know you value me. She's like, my family has money. It's the only way I know how to show gratitude. Please take this money from me. And she's like, okay, I will. Thank you so much. And when the lady drove off, Rachel opened the envelope and it was $500. Covered her entire trip, right? But it was a, a great example of how God provided for her because she was focused on the individual. She wasn't focused on the money, okay? And there will be times, all right, a little bit of a shift where you might be on a phone call or maybe sitting with someone and as you start sharing your vision and you're maybe going to move towards making an appeal to them, that you recognize, wow, this person needs some ministry right now. Their life is kind of a mess. And you might have, need to take that appeal, put it in your back pocket for another time and focus on what is this person reading. Like their marriage is falling apart. I'm not going to ask them for money. I might need to pause it and help them walk through the difficult season. So we always want to make sure that we're focused on the giver and not the gift, okay? All right, any comments or questions on that one? No, of course not, all right? Number eight, another attitude is emphasize the greatness of your vision, not the greatness of your need, okay? It doesn't mean that we're not gonna share our need, but we, we wanna focus on what God is doing is gonna be the main thing and then we're going to highlight our need for that, okay? So emphasize the, emphasize the greatness of your vision, not the greatness of your need. All right, so here was kind of, here's how Paul kind of did that, okay? Paul's vision, all right, this was Paul's vision. It, was all, it has always been my ambition to preach the gospel where Christ was not known so that I would not be building on someone else's foundation, okay? Second thing is Paul gives a promise. He says, I've been following the plan spoken of in the scriptures where it says, those who have never been told about him will see, and those who have never heard will understand. So he's saying like, hey, um, I'm going to reach the unreached. I'm not going to somewhere where there's a bunch of stuff going on. I'm going to reach people who have never heard about God. And he's like, I'm actually living out the scriptures where it says those who have never been told will hear and those who haven't seen will see. So he's highlighting his vision. He's highlighting what God's doing. He's highlighting how it's biblical, right? And then 
at the end, he makes an appeal. And he says, I'm planning to go to Spain, and when I do, I will stop off in Rome. And after I've enjoyed your fellowship for a little while, you can provide for my journey. Okay? And so he doesn't, like, spend a bunch of time talking about all the money he needs and a little bit about the vision. He focuses on what God's doing and what the vision is and letting people, and then he says, okay, now here's the need I have to make that vision of God come true. Okay, so we want to emphasize the greatness of the vision. All right? Ralph Waldo Emerson said, nothing great was ever accomplished without enthusiasm. All right? You want to be passionate about your vision. Okay? Your appeal can be very simple, right? But if you are passionate and you are clear on what God's called you to do, people are going to want to get behind that. Right? But if all you do is talk about money, it's going to be a different response. Okay? Okay, so let me tell another adoption story, all right? Um, that goes along with this while some of you are still jabbing notes down. Okay, so typically, like for, for all three of our adoptions, usually how it worked was. For like all the crazy paperwork, which was like hundreds of pages, like I usually did all the paperwork, right? Um, all the boring, tedious stuff. But my wife would like, she, she would blog, she would post things on social media. She's very passionate when she talks or lives or writes, okay? And so um, my third son, Bear, okay? Um, I think that the story, the video highlighted it a little bit yesterday, right? I, I was at the DMV. She sends me this picture of a little boy, and they say, hey, you know, she's like, um, they just sent me this picture of this little baby. They need families to adopt, and they're asking us if we'll consider adopting, right? And I said, just tell them yes, and she's like, good, I already did, right? Like the video said. Well, when I get home from that moment, right, I get in the house, and she's like, okay, okay, like, that was super awesome. Thanks for saying yes. We're going to pursue this baby. But here's the details. She's like, things are moving quicker in Korea than they did with our other babies. And she goes, um, she's like, we have, we have two weeks to come up with, it was, I think, um, it was $25,000. She's like, in two weeks, She's like, basically, the process is accelerated. we got to come up with $25,000. And I was like, oh, that's great. You should have told me that before I said yes, right? <laughs> and so she's like, I hope it's okay. She's like, while I was waiting for you to get home, she's like, I wrote up this little paragraph um, about this baby, and I posted it on Facebook along with a picture of him just sharing what's going on and how we need money, right? And so I'm like, that's fine. And she's like, I put her giving link on there and ways to give. And so I was like, that's fine. Let's see what happens. And in my mind, I had zero faith, guys. I was like, we're going to get like $500. Like, no, you know, that's just a crazy amount of money. I've never, I've seen God move, but not that big. It's too short of a window, right? And so, so the first couple days, right, the first beat up people to give, as always with our adoptions, was wildlings around the world. So it was like $10, $5, $25. So maybe like in the first two days, maybe we had like $1,000 or $1,500 that had come in. All these wild animals did. And then the gifts started to get bigger. It's like somebody gave 250 
then 400, then 750. So then I'm just like, oh wow, man, God's really moving. And 2,500, then two people gave $5,000 each. And just like, not to drag out the story, in, um, in 10 days, $28,000 came in to help cover the first phase of that adoption, okay? But it wasn't anything I had done. It wasn't like my skills, you know, something crazy. It was my wife getting on, writing this little paragraph with the passion that she has for her two boys already and the adoption process and pouring her heart out on paper. And people responded to that. It was like, this is the need. This is what God's doing. This is what our family's committing to. Please pray, and if you feel led to give, here's how you can do that. And that was how people responded, that she was enthusiastic and passionate, and she focused on the vision of God, and then gave an opportunity for people to give, okay? So, share your vision, explain your burden for ministry, and then give people an opportunity to join, okay? That's kind of the simplicity of it, all right? Okay, so that's our eight attitudes, all right, any questions on that? We're just going to keep going ahead. You guys good? Okay, myths, all right? We are going to talk about five myths, myths about support raising or raising personal support, okay? So talk about obstacles, attitudes, now myths. Okay, the first one is, talked a little bit about this already, Okay, sometimes we can have the mindset that heaven has a cash flow problem, right? And again, sometimes the economy, regardless of the economy, right, each believer has the responsibility and the privilege of giving, of giving according to his or her need. Okay, and what I mean by that is whether the economy is super high or super low, good, bad, somewhere in between, if we believe scripture that all believers are challenged by the Lord to give as they're able. So even if our economy is low, God doesn't ever say in scripture, well, when the economy's bad, hold off on your giving, don't give, don't be generous. And he doesn't say, hey, when it's super high or somewhere in between, it's always, it's just constant, regardless of give as you're able to give. Okay, And so we can have the mindset, right? We can live with the hope that even if the economy is low, people are going to obey God. They're going to respond to God. They still have a responsibility to give to the kingdom of God. All right, Deuteronomy 16, 17 says, Every man shall give as he is able according to the blessings given to them by the Lord their God. All right? And so it doesn't say anything about economy. It just says, as you're able. God's going to bless you. God's going to meet your needs. And then out of that, you should be giving to other people. Okay? And I don't think we'll get into this too much, but side note, as we're looking to people to give to us and be generous, we should continue to live a life of being generous as well and still be giving. That even though we're missionaries, right, and we live by support, I would challenge you to continue to give tithe, be generous, whatever it looks like for you, um, and give to the Lord, okay? I know my family and I know a lot of other missionaries actually support other missionaries out of our resources. And so always be looking for ways that 
you know, YOM value number, whatever it is. You know, we have YOM values if you haven't learned them yet. And one of them is do first and then teach, right? Number 12, let's go, all right? Um, and so we want to do first. We want to be generous as we're looking for people to be generous to us, okay? We want to live that out first. That's just a little side note, okay? Um, just, just with that mindset of having as a cash flow, it says each year, um, statistic, each year Americans give more than $100 billion to charity, okay? And the majority of that goes to churches and religious causes, okay? And yet, according to the IRS, Americans actually only give 1% to 2% of their gross income, right? So even though we're giving over $100 billion a year to charity, according to the IRS, that's only 1% to 2% of what we have, okay? And so there's not an issue with the cash flow for heaven, right? It's an issue of people's hearts and how much we're willing to be generous, okay? Um, but anyway, God will provide, right? And historically, in the United States, giving actually increases during economic downfalls. All right? You know what else goes up? During hard times, movie attendance actually increases. When economic times are tough, more people go to the movies then. Why? Because they're probably drowning their sorrows for two or three hours in some movie, okay? But my point is, even when there's hard times, there's still money, and people give to what they're passionate about, right? If I'm giving people an opportunity to get passionate about my ministry, they might give to my ministry instead of going and seeing, you know, some Marvel movie for the third time that they've already seen, okay? And they'll give some of that money to me instead, right? It's not bad to go to a market and be like, okay? All right, another myth is meetings raise money, okay? And I'm going to expound on what I mean by this, okay? I'm not saying that it, you can't have meetings to raise money, but what's going to unfold over the next couple days is you will see you'll actually have a better return on people giving if you pursue people as individuals versus trying to get a bunch of people into a room, okay? Because the natural thought process, and this could be like a mass mailing, like I'm just gonna mail out 200 letters randomly to people and hope they get it, right? It could be like, I'm just gonna try to get 200 people in a room and they're probably all gonna give to me. But actually that statistic goes way down that people will give because here's kind of an idea of what could happen, right? Maybe I gathered 50 people into my, you know, some church, you know, um, meeting room, right? And I get up and I share this awesome vision. And then I go, okay, I'm going to hand out packets to everybody that's here. So all 50 people, they get a packet. And I just go, I just want you guys to pray about giving. And then if you feel led, there's going to be a box up here and you can turn in your donor pledge, right? What can happen is while people are waiting, they start looking around and it's like, oh, wow, there's like, 50 other people here. Like, I know that guy, he's a doctor, he's a lawyer. Man, they don't need my money. They're gonna cash in on all these other people. And if all 50 people are looking around going, somebody else will do it, somebody else will do it, somebody else will do it. It, before you know it, you had 50 people and like two people get, and one of them was your grandma, right? <laughs> um, and so, 
Statistically, that's not the best approach. When Rachel and I first came on staff, that's what we did. But we did we we did a letter approach. We made a list of like 200 people that we both knew. We wrote this awesome letter, not personalizing it, just random, and just mailed it to 200 people. Okay, and out of those 200 people, we got like 12 new donors. Right? Thank God for those 12 donors. They got us here, and somehow we're still here today. Right? You've heard some of our horror stories, but we would have been way more productive to reach out to each one of those individuals and say, could we meet with you? Could I talk with you on the phone? Um, would you take time? You know, and personalized it, met with them. We would have had a way better return than just a mass appeal to people, okay? Um, we'll talk more about that, but um, it's better to go to people one-on-one versus mass meetings, okay? All right, number three. Churches are your best prospects. Sometimes people think like, wow, if I could just get like five churches and they all give me $500 a month, I will be set, 2,500 bucks, right? Now, most of us don't have relationship with five different churches. Like most of us are pretty solid if we have one good church that might support us, okay? I have been in Wyoming 23 years roughly, and we have four supporting churches. And one of them just stopped because a different church took over and its new leadership and all that. So all my years in YWAM, right? Maybe you too. Um, all my years in YWAM, like, I only have three supporting churches now, okay? And it's not because, like, I didn't try, because I tried. But you just, it, churches aren't the best prospect, okay? Um, you're going to be better off pursuing individuals, right, families, taking that approach. If you have a home church, we'll talk about that later, that's great, I would ask them. And then maybe over time you have a donor who goes, hey, I found out my church is looking to add some new missionaries, do you want to come share and I'll kind of be your advocate and maybe they'll support you. Those things might come along, but as you heard from my story about an hour ago, Googling churches and asking to them it doesn't really work because I've tried, okay? Um, one of my responsibilities here at YWAM for six years, I was the YWAM, the base accountant. So I handled all the finances here um, for six years. And so all the support that came in for every single one of our staff went through my hands, okay? And I promise you 90% or more of the support checks that came in were from individuals, from families, or maybe like small family businesses. Maybe five to 10% at the most came from churches. So it's statistically true across the board. Um, majority of our staff, the higher percentage of 90% or more of our support comes from individuals, not from churches throwing down like three grand a month, okay? I only have one friend that I know of that got $2,000 a month from a church. Right? And he did not get me on their list. But anyway. All right? Number four, Mr. Wonderful will raise money for me. Okay? Some of you ladies are waiting for Mr. Wonderful to marry you and then you court raise you for you. Okay? No, that's not what I'm talking about. But I read this story, okay? I read a story about a missionary and he was raising support and he went to one of his friends who was a businessman and he made an appeal to him, right? 
And his friend goes, dude, what are you doing? He's like, you're good with ministry and I'm good with money. I'm going to raise your support for you, right? And the dude was like, sure, you can do that, right? And he said after six months, his friend did not raise $1 of new support for him, okay? Now, I think there's a couple of reasons for that. He didn't give reasons. Um, One was his friend, it's not life or death for his friend to raise that support, right? It's not his vision. It's not like, he's like, I got meetings today. I got a job. I got income. He's not as motivated to raise money as I would be, right? This is my, this is how I'm going to feed my family, but it's also how I'm going to do what God's called me to do. And I can't do that until this money comes in. Okay. And the other side of it, I think is, and I, I know is, um, people don't want to hear about your vision from some random dude, right? Amanda's friends want to hear about Amanda's vision from Amanda, not from Roger, right? Or whoever, okay? So let's not hope that somebody's going to come along and raise the money for us. Now, I will tell you over time, people might go to their friends and say, hey, you should come hear about my friend and you guys should consider partnering with them. You'll, you'll get people who become advocates for you, right? And might help you set up a meeting, but you're going to be the one that goes in and shares. You're going to make the appeal. You're going to tell the stories because you're the one that lived it. You're the one that is living it and it's more impactful and that's what people want to give to, okay? All right, the last one, the fifth, the fifth myth, all right? Raising support is like taking cough syrup, okay? When I was a kid, they only had one flavor of cough syrup, and it was cough syrup. It was horrible, right? Nowadays, it's like you've got great bubblegum cherry. You know, I, one of my kids is like, give me some more, right? He likes the taste of it, right? When we were kids, we're just like, no, thank you. It's the worst thing ever, right? And sometimes that's how we, we don't want to um, approach support raising like that. This is the worst thing ever. Right? No, we've, we've talked about how it's, it's a spiritual ministry. It's like an honor to invite people into what we're doing. It's an honor to, you know, follow God and do these things, okay? Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that is at work within us. Okay? God, I'm telling you guys, I used to not be here, but I am 22 years ago, I would have never said this. I was like, I've said a million times, I shouldn't even be up here. But God does more than we can think or imagine. I can tell you prayer after prayer that I prayed about a need and God goes above and beyond, as his word says, more than I could think or imagine. Because it's not me, but it's his power working in me, producing it, Okay. And you'll be surprised how many times you will think God's going to provide one way. You're you're asking this person, you're asking these people, and they are like, no, 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 no. And then God comes in, like I always call God coming in the back door, and he provides in some ridiculous way, like a DTS or giving you $15,000. And you're just like, I never would have thought of that idea, God. That's a great idea, right? But I think sometimes they'll say, do this, and we do it, and that's how he gives. And other times I think he intentionally doesn't let those people give that way because he wants to provide in some really crazy way. 
And you're just like, Lord, like that's crazy. And he's like, I just wanted to remind you that I'm your source. It's the power of me working in you, not your great, awesome ideas. Okay? Um, don't lean on this as your source, but I, this story, I don't know all the details of it, but I remember it's been a few years now, but we had a DTS, right? And if I remember the number right, it was a big fall school, so their probably whole outreach was like 150 grand or whatever. But as a team, they still owed something like $20,000, right? And they had all exhausted their resources. And one of the kids, like a couple days before, like calls his brother and was just like, hey, you know, bro, brother, big brother, I still need like $1,500 for my outreach. He's like, oh, my whole team's working on it. And his brother was like, well, how much does your team need? And he was like, 20 grand. And his, bro, his brother was just like, all right, I'm sending you 20 grand right now to cover the rest of your team, right? Like nobody would have thought that. That wasn't even his intent. He was just trying to come up with his $1,500 and his brother was moved and gave the entire amount, okay? Um, but I, always, I say all that to say, like guys, like, it's God working in us, right? It's his power. Yes, we have to do practical things many times, but I always want us to remember to lean on him and not ourselves. Sometimes he comes through like he said he would, and sometimes it looks totally different. And it's super awesome, and then you have a really cool story to tell your grandkids someday. All right? Okay. We still have time. Let's go. All right? I'm not sad. I don't, like, not want to be with you. Um, is there any comments or questions up to this point? I always like to pause. Everything clear? Are you guys tracking? Are you guys excited? Yeah. Yeah? Do you guys, do people still need money for like your school and outreach and stuff like that? Yeah. Okay, so this is like your faith is being stirred. Okay. <laughs> awesome. All right. We're starting, we're getting closer to doing some, to doing the, the actual practical things, all right? This is where we're going to start getting into that a bit more. Okay, six mistakes to avoid in fundraising. Okay, six to mistakes to avoid in fundraising, right? So why I'm in Vegas, it's like do first and then teach. Sometimes it's like do the victory things and then teach it, but it's also like do all the mistakes and errors and teach not to do that, okay? So anything up here that sounds like negative, don't do this, don't be that person, don't make this mistake, done them all like three times, a hundred, okay? So I'm speaking out of experience and learning and... You know. Thanks for, thanks for stumbling. So that yes, you are welcome. That's, you are welcome. <laughs> that, you are welcome. Okay. All right. Failure to go face to face is the first mistake to avoid. All right. And I, I've, as we grow, as we've grown in the world of social media and technology, um, I've changed this a little bit. And I haven't updated my PowerPoint, okay? Let's put failure to go face-to-face -face and maybe in parentheses put failure to ask personally, okay? Because I recognize we can't go all over the world and have a meeting face-to-face, -face, right? If I have a friend in Seattle, it, unless he's like going to potentially give me five grand a month, it doesn't make sense for me to spend $1,000 on a plane ticket to get to Seattle to ask for $50, okay? But when I have the opportunity that I can meet with somebody face-to-face, -face, I still think that's the most effective way um, 
Um, I was just in a meeting over lunch. We were talking about some things and just the difference between meeting with somebody over the phone versus meeting in a room face-to-face because there's just, you can see emotions, you can see facial expressions, body posture, and over the phone, you just hear a voice, okay? So I still think face-to-face is the best option if I have it, but I really want to stress the failure to ask personally is really what I'm highlighting. Whether it's a phone call, a text message, right, a DM, whatever it is, all these things are going to be part of our process that we'll talk about. So just what I said about 10 minutes ago, the 200 letters we sent out, it wasn't personal. It, it obviously wasn't face-to-face, but more importantly, it wasn't personal. It was just like, you're just another one of the people. I'm going to just throw my fishing rod into the lake and hope I catch something. Versus like, I value you as a person. Could I meet and share my heart with you? Could I look you in the eyes and be passionate and talk about what God's doing, okay? So, personal. All right, a, a great example of this in social media, and I know I'm the old person who still has Facebook, okay? But I, maybe you've never gotten this, but I've gotten this from missionaries before. You know, it's like, you're right up, you know, um, what is the thing? Like on Facebook, it's like you can create an event. You guys know what I'm talking about? And then you can send it to everybody, Right? And then it, your response is yes, no, or maybe. Okay? And so you'll get, you know, and if you've done this before, like God loves you, I'm not, I'm not making, I'm not like against you or making fun of you or anything, but you get an appeal and it says, you know, Joe Missionary is going to join YWAM full time. They need $500 in new support. Would you like to partner with them? And that's their event. And then they send it to you and you open it up and read that and it says, If you want to partner with them, yes, no, maybe, okay? Typically, from what I've heard when people do that, it's like they get like two responses, right? They send it to like a 1,000 friends or 500 friends or 200 friends, however many. They just blast their entire Facebook friends list. It is not personal at all. And half the people on Facebook don't even know how to check an event, right? They don't even know that you can get that, and they never even read it, okay? So again, if you've done that, I'm not mocking you. I'm not making fun of you. I'm encouraging you. That's not a good way to do it. You would be better, and we'll talk about this. Go through your friends list, Facebook, Instagram, all those. Great place to go, oh, I never thought of that person. I have 385 friends that could potentially, you know, give to me. I still do that, all right? I think I have like 1,800 followers. The downside is, is like 800 of them are YWAMers. So I'm not, you know, and 200 of them are associated with YWAM Orlando, so I'm not going to ask them. But you would be surprised how many times I still go through there, and every now and then I'll be like, oh my gosh, I've never asked them. They would be like perfect to partner with me, okay? I know you said we're going to talk about this She's really good at it. She can post things on her Instagram, right? 
to raise money for an outreach or something, and that girl will raise the money in like a day or two, right? <laughs> so I'm not saying you can't necessarily do posts, right? Different things like that. Um, but even in that post, you might say, you know, here's a picture of me in Tanzania. I'm going back for another outreach. If you'd like to give to that, DM me. You can do something like that. I think it's still to some degree personal. Um, so you can do that. Um, I probably would still more maybe write people individually, but I think you can, I think you can, I never want to say you can't do this because now social media is so big and broad that it all works. You just kind of have to think through how you're doing it. I think a big part for me yeah. has been obedience too though. Cause there's like, I've done four schools now and one of them, all I did was one post completely paid for it and like it's great. And then I did the next school and I did one post and not a single person responded. Yeah. And so I had to do the reach out. So yeah. yeah. And I think, I think early on there's a grace, you know, for different things. This guy is really good at social media. So I'll let him talk. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, it's interesting because I think the big posts kind of help people become more aware of what you're fundraising for. Mm -hmm. So I, I would say um, do the big posts, but the big post doesn't excuse you from personalizing yeah. and reaching out. That's good. Because sometimes what we do is we'll just like big posts and it's like, well, I'm not getting anything. And it's like, well, did you reach out to anybody? But no, I post it on social media. It's like, yeah, that's yeah, great. You just bring an awareness to the meme. Okay. Now you have to go and do the work, like do yeah. the actual, like reaching out. Um, yeah, so I think that's like a big thing. Because and I think even even in stages like you can make it kind of spiritual. I don't know. Sometimes I feel like it's a little bit spiritual too. Like the first kind of thing you start, like when the Lord calls you to do something, like it's a little bit easier to do, and then as you kind of like grow and stretch your faith there's more like we gotta reach out we have to talk to more people like this school we just went to you um i like Andy talks about like the phone calls and i hate phone calls i <laughs> try to avoid as much as possible like i'll just send them a text and i literally felt like the words like you need to call these people and so i was calling i think i yeah i did so many phone calls and like text messages weren't working. Like usually I can shoot a text with a little picture and people are like, oh yeah, bro, I'll give. But like people weren't responding to texts. So like, hey man, you want to do a phone call? And like, yes. And like we talked for like two hours and the person like, you know what? I was gonna give like 25, but I recognize that this is a big thing to support in your life. Here's $500, you know? Oh, yeah. And so it's like, yeah, like people that would give like 10 bucks, you like giving like 200, 250 or like, like, hey, I have a friend that can also give. So, like, people yes. really, really even know where, like, I got a Venmo from this person. I don't know this person. I got a cash out from someone. I didn't even know. One of my friend's parents gave to us and, like, never met the parents before in my life. But because I spent time to talk to them share, it was personal. They're like, they even find opportunities to connect you with people that can partner with you, you know? So, there is a level of, like, Yes, general posts, yeah. but as much as you can, like, get personal with how you're approaching people, you know? And think of it as partnerships. You probably already said this too, but like, when you ask for the money, 
also stay connected with them and like, mm-hmm. give them updates of like, hey, this is, we're halfway through, yeah. or even this week, this is what's important. And sometimes someone will say, like, I'd rather someone say, hey, you can just message me once a month about what happened. Or like the end of this month, you can tell me, hey, what's what's happening? When yeah. some people will be like, no, I actually really love the weekly updates, you know, keep them coming. Right. You know? yeah. Um, so even, you know, if you don't, like, it sounds strange, but it's like, if it's their birthday, like, make, make sure you just don't see them as dollar signs. Yeah, you know? right. Like, if it's their birthday and they gave to you, give, like, send them a happy birthday text or something, or anniversary, like, because that helps build relationship and they, they understand that you don't just see them as dollars, you actually see a relationship there, a partnership there. Right, you know? okay. That's, that's so good. Yeah. You live it. You live it too, though. You, I've seen you live it. So it's. Okay. Um, also, there's just. A, like, there's only so much you can communicate in a general post. Yeah. Like, when you go face to face, you can fully communicate. Like, hey, this is the general like, post that I shared. But there's so much more heart behind what I'm yeah. doing and why I'm doing it. Um, like we were support raising for a camper um, earlier, like last year, and I had to, a friend who reached out to me and was like, "Hey, like we didn't reach out to her, um, but she reached out to me and was like, I still don't understand like why you guys are support raising. Like I had to save up so much money to buy a house. Like I still don't understand. Can you explain to me a little bit more?" And I was like, "Well, one." Of course I can, like I'd love to talk to you, and two, that helped me understand that maybe I can communicate even better right. next time, um, and like a general post, yeah, so you yeah. just want to communicate so much, you know? Right. Yeah, that's really good, like both of them saying like, you know, you have to post, but then individualizing along the way, is you'll, you'll maybe call somebody or message them or whatever, like, hey, you know, um, we're trying to raise money for this, we're trying to re- and they'll go, I've had them go, oh yeah, I saw your post and I was going to respond. Thanks for reaching out. Like, where are you at with that? So it was already, the post helped the Lord get it in their mind. They've been thinking about it. They just caught up in other things. And so it's kind of like, a, a, you're kind of like preparing the way of the Lord. You know, you get it out there, but he'll still challenge you to call some people. But they saw that. So it was already like the Lord was working in their mind. So it's not like a catch me off guard random thing. There's already something there. So all that's that's super good. Okay, um, but we'll, we'll get more into that. There's there we're getting to a place where it's like you know, even like probably 50 years ago, it was only there was only a couple. It was like letters and phone calls is about it, you know, or horseback riding, whatever, right? Speaking at a church. Now there's so many ways you can be in the middle of a jungle and get a Venmo and you're. You know, you read the stories about old school missionaries. They had to like hike for five hours to check the mailbox and there was nothing there. Then they found $100 behind a bush or something, right? And now we just check out, we hear that, right? You can be in the middle of nowhere. So God is very gracious. There's multiple ways, but we still have to do the possible so that he can do the impossible because he likes to partner with us, okay? All right, the second thing. All right, we're talking about mistakes to avoid, okay? And again, some of this you can apply instantly. Remember, some of these things I'm talking about over the long haul, a longer term thing, is the failure to cultivate new donors or new friendships, okay? 
All right, and this is, I don't want to say it's a gray area, right? But it, it, it's that uncomfortable area, okay? And I'll explain why. Because some of you, I'm going to beat you to the punch. Someone always asks me this. Um, but we want to anticipate future funding by building friendships, creating interest, genu- genuinely making acquaintances with pe- as many people as we can so that eventually we might add them to our mailing list and then maybe eventually they can become donors, okay? And I know it's that, maybe some of you aren't thinking this, and I'm bringing, but I always have someone say, well, isn't that like weird? I'm just pursuing friendships because I have dollar signs in mind, right? Um, but the idea is, is, is if, if we say, I need to continue to cultivate friendships and cultivate relationships, all right? Because what can happen is, um, some of us naturally, you know, those natural people that everywhere they go, there's somebody they know because they're just a personable person. Um, you know, like those of you that know who Ezra is, right? Love him or hate him. Um, we've been friends since I was 17. And I remember one time we went to Great America. He's the person everywhere I go with him, we see somebody that he knows, right? Because he knows everybody. He's relatable. Um, And we were at, we live in Michigan and we drove two hours to Chicago to Great America, right? Thousands of people and we're on some random ride and he runs into somebody that he knew from high school, right? So we all have those people that are just naturally like that. They cultivate relationships. Some of us have to work a little harder at it. So what can happen is, let's say we join, it could be any Wyoming base, right? Wyoming Orlando, we join we, we, you know, we work together. We all go to the same church, right? Go to Mosaic or this church or that church. We play soccer together. We go to games together. We go out to eat. Like everything we do, like maybe because we get along, everything we do is with YWAMers. That's like our crew. So if we're not careful, what can happen is 10 years, let's say five, 10 years in, we've asked everybody that we know to support us, right? 10 times. And we're like, man, I really need new people, new relationships that I could appeal to, but I don't ever cultivate new relationships. I only hang out here and hang out with these people. So that's not a bad thing, you know, like these people. It's not a bad thing, okay? But we just have to be, be aware and alert of being involved with the other things, okay? So it could be things like, you know, establishing yourself in a church consistently and maybe you join a small group. You join a Bible study. Um, maybe you volunteer to teach a Sunday school class or to be a security guard. Like Peter Otis is a security guard at Mosaic. Now, he didn't, he didn't do it to raise support, but that's just a good example is he's building relationships with other security guards, other families, and all different things. And so over time, he's going to cultivate new relationships, okay? Um, you could join a basketball group. I, I'm in a basketball small group. So I meet twice. I'm not right now, but pretty consistently twice a week at five in the morning and play pickup basketball with some guys. Okay. And they're all believers and I have good relationship I've made over the last four or five years with those guys. And some of them give monthly and some of them give sporadically, but I didn't even ask them to give. They just naturally started giving. Okay. Um, another way that we can cultivate potential donors for the future is when we get an opportunity maybe to speak at a church or in a small group, 
Okay? And let me give you um, some ideas for that. Sometimes you might reach out to your home church or your friend says, hey, I was telling my pastor about you and he wants you to come share on Sunday morning. He's going to give you two minutes to talk about who you are and what you do. And our mindset could be like, two minutes? What the heck am I supposed to do with two minutes? Okay? Here's a way that you could use that two minutes, all right? You go to that pastor and you're like, hey, thank you for your two minutes. I'm so honored. Would it be okay with you if I set up a little booth out in the foyer and after church invite people to come talk to me and find about more? 99% of the time, they'd be like, that's totally fine. So you get up, you're just like, share your passionate two-minute little speech and just say, if you'd like to hear more about what I'm doing and my work with Wyom and how maybe you could be a part of that, come see me at my back booth. I'll be there, right? And then people come out there. Now, in that moment at the booth, you're not going to say, would you like to become one of my donors? Because I don't even know who you are, right? But they might come up to you and say, hi, I'm Mrs. Johnson. This is my husband, Mr. Johnson, right? We really loved what you're you know, the work that you've been doing in Tanzania the last couple of years, is there any way we can find out more about that? It's super exciting. And you can say, well, actually, I send out a monthly newsletter, um, both paper and email. Would you like to get that? Oh, yeah, where do we sign up? Right here. And then they sign up and you say, okay, well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be, be looking in your inbox. I'm going to be sending out regular updates. Okay. Now, and I know this is long, but stick with me. Okay. Over the next year, you are faithful to send out updates of ministry and what you're doing. And so maybe over the course of the year, you send out 8 to 12 update letters, keeping Mr. and Mrs. Johnson involved. And then what happens is next summer, you go back to your hometown where that church is and you call Mr. and Mrs. Johnson. And you say, hey, remember me? I spoke at your church last year. Oh, yeah, we really loved it. We've been getting your newsletters. Well, hey, I'm going to be in the area next week. I was wondering if I could get together with you, share more about what God's been doing and how you could become one of my monthly partners. Would you be open to that? Oh yeah, we'd love to hear more. Why don't you come by or why don't we meet here? Okay, a year ago, I didn't even know them, right? But I invited them simply just to get my letter. I was faithful to send them updates. I'm, I'm kind of cultivating a relationship and now I've kind of, it's not weird for me to call them and ask them to meet up, okay? So those are just like practical ways that we can continue to grow relationships, okay? Um, I did this probably just like seven years ago. I was at this one church. We were in the middle of Pax's adoption, and I did just this, okay? This lady came out to the booth at the end of the time, and she was like, I love what you're doing. And she actually said to me, um, yeah, I want to get your newsletter, but I actually want to start supporting you. And she's like, I want to do $30 a month. Didn't know her at all. And she's I'm like, that's awesome. So she's, I'm like, how do you like to give? She's like, well, I just like mail checks. So just send me your newsletter with an envelope and I'll mail you a check every month. All right, that was like seven years ago, right? To this day, that lady's never given $30. It's always more than that. It'll be like $70 one month, $200 the next month. $60 and like $350. It's these random amounts, okay, which is great. I love it. No complaints, okay? And then about a year or two after we did that, she wrote us and she said, hey, my husband and I are trying to sell our home 
and we just cannot get any bites and we really need to sell it because we're already looking at a new place, would you guys please pray? And we just said, yeah, we'll be praying for it, right? About two months after that email, she never wrote us back, we showed up to that church and we were going to speak again. And she came up to us afterwards and she's like, guys, thank you so much for praying. Just last week, we finally sold our home. We appreciate you guys praying for that. She's like, you know, here's a little card for your family to be blessed. We'll see you next summer when you're here or whatever. So we got to the car and we open it up. And she's like, thanks for praying. We sold the house. We want to bless you with some of the proceeds. And it was a check for $2,500. Okay? And all of that came from just having a little booth that was, I remember, it was really horrible. I didn't do a good job of setting it up. I was in a hurry. And she responded and started supporting us, and she still supports us today. It was like seven years ago, okay? So just never, like, despise a small window where you can share. Just be like, Lord, what is a way that I can share my vision and maybe invite someone to at least start getting my newsletter and updates? And over time, God will cultivate a new relationship, okay? Right, Luke 8, 1 through 3, it was talking about Jesus and his supporters, and it said that he had many others who were contributing to their support out of their private means. Okay, over time, you're just, you're, it's great right now if you have 10 donors or if you have five or two, okay? But over time, if, you, if it's something you're going to do longer term, right, God wants to grow your donor base for all the different reasons we've talked about. Practically to have income, to do the things God's called you to do, but he'll also give more people an opportunity to sow into his kingdom, all right? All right, I'm going to give you one more story, and we will close on this a little early. Yes? Can I you may. Uh, you might talk about this later, so no. it's not over. But are you going to speak about the benefit to having more donors, fewer amounts, rather than a couple donors, big amounts? Yes, I will. That's good. That's actually a good point. We will. We're. I think we're going to get to that. We'll get to that tomorrow. Okay, sweet. So it's a good. That's a good question. Um, so going back to um, just just ideas on how to cultivate friendships or new relationships. Okay. Um, I go back to my oldest son was I think in second grade when I met this person. All right, and. It was Christmas time, and um, we go to church, and Tyson's second grade teacher comes up to us, and they didn't go to this church, but they were visiting for the holiday. They were going there for the Christmas service, and it's like, oh, hi, this is so-and-so. Um, she's like, oh, hey, how are you guys doing? She's like, hey, I want to introduce you. This is my husband, Andrew. And it's like, oh, hey, Andrew, nice to meet you. Didn't think anything of it when about Christmas came, right? A couple months later, just like praying, like, all right, Lord, we need to, like, I think I was actually teaching on this topic, and I was like, I'm not really doing a good job of cultivating your relationships. Um, and the Lord was just challenging me to do what I'm preaching, right, or teaching. So I just felt like, the Lord, I was like, okay, God, what do you want me to do? And I felt like he's like, I want you to join a Bible study. So I go on this church website, right, local church, um, and I went to their website where they have, like, Bible studies and small groups. And know that they have like over a hundred small groups, right? And you're just like, well, oh, geez, there's a hundred and something here. Which one am I supposed to join? So I'm like scrolling through, and randomly I see the picture of this guy, and it was 
Andrew, who I had been introduced to by Tyson's teacher. And I was like, well, I don't know anybody else, so maybe we'll see what this guy's up to. So it said you could send him a message, so I just wrote him and said, hey, I'm looking at maybe joining a Bible study. I see that you lead one. Like, what does that look like? And I didn't think he would write back. But he wrote me back in like 30 seconds, right? Um, got, a, got an instant reply. He was like, hey, we're actually meeting tonight. Come to such and such a place in this room. I'll save you a spot, right? So I go to the church. It was actually a real life church, for those of you that know real life. And I, and I didn't know what I was going to. And I show up, and there's this huge, I go in the door, and it's this huge room, and there's like 150 men in there. And they're watching a video, so it's pitch black. So I can't see anything, all right? And so I'm just like, this is awkward, because you kind of open the door, and you shed in light, and everyone's kind of looking at you. And I was kind of like, just shut the door and leave. Well, all of a sudden, out of the dark, this guy comes running through, he's like, dude, you're finally here. I saved you a seat. So I go over there. We finished the video. And what happens was they would meet for like 10 minutes, watch a video, and then you break into small groups and talk about it. So I go with this guy to a small group. There's like six of us. And we go through the thing, blah, blah, blah. It was great. It was awesome. So while I'm leaving, he goes, he goes, oh, I think I remember my wife telling you, aren't you guys missionaries with YWAM? And I was like, yeah, we are. And he's like, do you live by sport? And I'm like, yeah. He's like, can you bring me a packet next week? And we'll pray about supporting you. I'm like, sure. So, um, so I bring him the packet next week. You know, it's kind of awkward. Is he going to forget or whatever? And I was like, hey, do you still want that packet about what we do? And he's like, oh, yeah. He's like, he's like I'll take it. But we already prayed and we're going to support you $50 a month. Right? <laughs> Just met this guy, you know. And I'm like, sweet. Um, so, like, for a year, they supported us $50 a month. And then after, like, a year or so, Every month I would look and see that they were giving, but it was like, it went to $60 a month, then the next month it was 70 then 80 And I was like, hey, um, I don't know if you meant to do this, but every month your support's going up 10 bucks. I don't know if there's an issue with your bank, but he's like, no, he's like, we're going to increase $10 a month every month until we can't increase anymore. Okay, so they, they did that every month until they got to $200 a month, and then it was like, all right, we can't, we got to stop it at that. But I mean, that was like um, Tyson 17, that was like 10 years ago, nine years ago, still supporting us to this day. And he is my best non-YWAM friend. So outside of YWAM, he lives locally. Um, he's like my, my best friend, closest friend outside of YWAM. But it all was like, I was trying to cultivate new relationships, trying to think. And yes, God brought a donor, but more importantly, um, he brought a friend, and we've been able to walk with each other through some difficult things and encourage each other and pray with each other and all that. And we, our Bible study still meets on Thursday mornings for breakfast, so that thing is still going on as well. So it's just being creative, asking the Lord, how can I continue to, to build new friendships and relationships that if I'm in this longer down the road, those people might become a part of my team. So we're going to pause there because I'm out of words. Um, <laughs> And give you guys Jen a minute to talk and get to dinner and all that. So <laughs> thanks, um, Andy. Yeah. Thank you.